everyone and welcome to the Code First Girls podcast. This podcast is a space for us to share conversations about technology, diversity and inclusion, career development and also entrepreneurship. Today we've got a fantastic guest, Rona Moodley, who is the HR Director for Europe, Middle East and Africa for Experian. Rona and I have been speaking for some time now, and we're very much looking forward to building some exciting initiatives with Experian moving forward. Rona, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anna. It's lovely to be here with all of you, and what an opportunity. So thanks for having me. How are you feeling? You've got, are you having a, a good day? A bit of tech issues today, uh, but we call Friday's craziest day on the EMEA agenda. But I'm, I'm in a good space, Anna, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. That's great. And it just shows you, right? It doesn't matter how senior you get, you, you still sometimes get tech issues, which you can do nothing about. And, yeah, and I think through the COVID-19 pandemic, it's truly tested us. Rona, it would be fantastic to just sort of hear a little bit more about you. You know, we, we know your career has spanned countries, cultures, different continents. It will be wonderful to hear a little bit more about your background, you know, where you started and and how you've arrived in in such a fantastic role. Thanks, Anna. So I'm South African, as a lot of you would hear from my accent. I am South African, uh, first generation Indian. And I think just, just growing up in an Indian family who are trying to make their way in a new country as well, you know, during a time of apartheid, I think, especially as a woman of color and as a young woman of color, I always recognized in myself that there was something different. And I had a sense for people, and that may sound cliched, but I did have a sense for people and a sense of that there was more I could be doing. As I kind of started out my career as a young woman, I started out, interestingly enough, in PR and marketing. But I think what that start gave my career was just an opportunity and an ability to learn some of the basic foundational skills. And when you're hosting PR events, it's that opportunity to really get to know people from different communities. And and that for me was just a, a groundbreaking time for me personally. One of my best roles in the marketing world was when I was the head of corporates and trust development at the University of Cape Town because I got to work with Russia Michelle, who, as a lot of you would know, is the wife of the late Nelson Mandela. And she was at that point the chancellor of the university. And part of that role that I did was about raising money and quite a substantive amount of money to to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the university. So it was 150 million rand that we had to raise over a period of time, and it was all going back to the communities, to the underprivileged communities and students. After the birth of my first daughter, Gabby, I ventured into HR purely by chance. And it was just someone taking a chance on me and saying, you know what, Rona, we could actually see you doing this role. After the birth of my second daughter, I went through a divorce. So with two very young girls, I decided to listen to my intuition, which has been my North Star for most of my life. And we ventured to the Middle East, where I lived for seven years. And it was it was a fantastic time for me. Challenging in the sense that it was full of cultural paradoxes. But the opportunities it provided for me for my career were 
would later set up what I would truly love and would be my purpose. So in that seven years, I managed to do a lot of work in private equity and in financial services. It was the mergers and acquisitions part that really shaped and made me understand who I truly am. And it was with Standard Charter that I moved back to South Africa as part of the Africa business. And getting back to South Africa was a tough gig for me, especially having not returned home for seven years. Um, I've, I've evolved as an individual. I have a better sense of who I am. And at that point, I recognized that I had to stay true to myself. And it was once I made that recognition and I had that understanding that I began my journey of saying to my girls, you're going to move back to London. You know, we're going to get back into an international market. And Experian approached me. And in October of 2018, I started with them. And in November of 2018, I moved across to London. And, and I think and as I reflect that on that, I'm very humbled by those opportunities because not many of us get to do that and get to do what we love. Because it's been hard grafting. It's been hard yards to get to where I am and to get the recognition. But I think what I've been true to is honoring myself through this journey. The one key thing that has seen me through this entire journey has been resilience, and that's emotional resilience. No, I mean, I, I just wanted to, to sort of say how exciting that journey sounded, both on like an emotional level, but also in terms of, you know, the number of, of cultures you come into contact with. I often look at HR as cultural and behavioral change within an organization. But to hear that, you know, you started out in South Africa, you know, looking at things like communities and being able to impact people in that way. I feel like there's no surprise, really, that that sense of culture has, has been transformed now into an organization and, and how you now shape organizational behaviors and, and bring that diversity into experience. I think you're, you're spot on there, right? I think one takes for granted our experiences. And if I think about my time back in South Africa, even as a person of color in a lot of corporate organizations, they go, oh, yeah, Rona's a hard grafter. You know, she, she works hard. But they don't see you beyond that because people are put into boxes. And that's why I recognized that I had to leave South Africa to really, truly find who I was professionally. What I would say to the young woman listening to me right now, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid and, and do not listen to the naysayers. Go out there and take a chance. Was my journey in the Middle East easy? Absolutely not. It was tough because I was in a world where the role of the woman has many, many different meanings and interpretations. But added to that, I was a woman that they saw as coming from the subcontinent, right, from India. And I would not be taken mm -hmm. seriously until I would open my mouth and they would go, oh, wow, she must be from England because she speaks English like this. And I would go, no, I'm actually not from England. I'm from South Africa. But once again, you know, those stereotypes perpetuate. Diversity is just not about the color of our skin. It is so much more, right? It is so much more. And, and sometimes in the Western world, we do dilute the definition of what diversity means. But I think for any of us, the one thing I would say is it's just to have respect and to be cognizant of how we are landing. 
I think I'd, I'd love to, to unpack that a little bit more because what I'm fascinated by in your career is that you've worked across, say, uh, Western cultures and also emerging markets as well. Do you feel that there's a commonality between women across cultures? I'd love to hear your perspective on maybe some commonalities and differences that you've noticed in, in, your, in your career. I think there is, there is a difference While South Africa is a developing economy, it is still very much different to the rest of the continent. And I think sometimes people forget that. And so when I think of stepping outside of South Africa into the continent, to the African continent, that for me is the emerging economy. And if I think about Europe, Eastern Europe for me is an emerging economy, an emerging market. In the West, A lot of our stuff is done for us. You know, the processes are there. Everything is kind of set out in black and white. You don't really need to think about it. So there's a lot of emphasis on IQ in the West, you know, whether you've attended the right prestigious universities, uh, you know, there's certain criteria that as women we have to aspire to. Um, But in a developing economy, that's not the case. You know, it's, it's about having really robust emotional intelligence. It's cognitive diversity that really rules. I do think women are very isolated in business, not just at the top. Uh, there's an expectation for us to lose our sense of self, our femininity, or dull your personality and emo- emotions because you're either too sensitive or loud. Um, but we've got to kind of remember that assimilation can be a very dangerous Right, because you essentially lose who you are, and you know it's all about values. And I think to my original point, it's about honouring your truth and being authentic. You know, obviously, you are a strong female leader with numerous markets that you're looking after. How do you maybe serve that different type of mentality that you're describing? How do you empower those women um, to be the best that they can be? For me, it's about Again, respect, right? Because I think we forget how important respect is and not to take our experiences and our people for granted. You know, when I look at my team, we all have this laugh, this joke, because I often get told, but Rona, you know, you took a chance on us that someone else would never have done. And I have two, I have a few Eastern European young women in my team. And that's something that they often say, you know, but you saw us, you actually saw us where before they may not have been seen. Um, and I think that's important for us as female leaders is for us to recognize potential and to see potential beyond what tradition tells us we should be looking at. For me, it goes back very much as well to your, your point that you made earlier around intuition and how important intuition is for a leader to, you know, be able to see and recognize talent in others. It sounds like that's something that, that you've honed over the years. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think for me, my intuition is something that really supports me in my delivery. It helps me pause and reflect when I need to hold up the mirror to my exco and to my team. So I think there's two things around intuition. It's about listening to that inner voice, which should be your guiding North Star, where you quieten the noise in your head and quietly listen. 
And that has served me really, really well. And I think the second part around intuition is, you know, this, a lot of people say, oh, it's mumbo jumbo, but it's about how do you empty the space in your heart to make time for yourself? So there's that piece around self-work and self-care, right? Because if you cannot take care of yourself and if you don't know how to balance it becomes a really vicious cycle in terms of how you are managing your intuition and how in tune are you with yourself. I think when we were chatting the last time I spoke to you about the analogy of if you're on an aeroplane and the aeroplane is in the process of crashing, you take your oxygen first because if you don't, how the hell are you supposed to help others? I struggle to find balance. So work is a massive part of who I am. But what I've learned as I've grown older is that it does not need to define me. I am, as Rona, I am more than my work. You know, I'm the woman, I'm the mother. It's all of those components. I very much feel as well, when you see that in a female leader, your leadership style as a result of your sense of grounding, your employees perceive it as being more authentic. 100%. And, and, you know, it's scary to be authentic, right? Because to be authentic, that means you've got to be vulnerable. But vulnerability is a huge strength. When you're leading a team and you're leading at pace and you're leading with massive agendas, you cannot do it if you're masking and you're bringing in behaviors of the patriarchy. At Code First Girls, we deal a lot with emerging talent um, alongside existing employees and helping them break into tech. But I think for a lot of young women listening out there who may feel vulnerable and may be thinking about taking that first step into either the workplace or into technology, do you kind of have a message that you could give to them about um, the importance of maybe feeling vulnerable and being brave in that respect? So the one thing I would say to young women that I would say the same thing to my daughters, Gabby and Alex, is you've got to be brave because no one else is going to do it for you. So you take the fear you're feeling in your belly and you harness it. And you harness it into positive action, right? If it means that before you go in for an interview, you write your script, you practice, you look the person in the eye, you speak, you speak with confidence. You know, you get turned down once, it's okay. Turn down twice. You can get turned down 10 times, but do not give up. And there's no need for you to put on a mask. Just be yourself. And hey-ho, if you get a no, then actually they don't deserve you. That's my message to young women because there's such a drive and there's such an ambition to want to do so much so quickly. It's okay. Slowly, slowly, take one step at a time. But honor your vulnerability Honor your heart, honor your truth. I feel as though um, with, um, uh, you know, this day and age, we are bombarded by images and stories of success. And I sometimes feel like it's very hard to take a step back because we, we often don't hear about stories of failure. And I think that when people do fail, and they inevitably do, I mean, I've failed many, many times in life at many things. Um, it's important for young women to understand in particular that it's okay to fail. And sometimes through failing, you actually gain even more lessons uh, and, and more insight than succeeding. 
I failed many a times as well. And if, if you don't know better, you feel such a sense of shame. But it is your story. And there's no need to feel that shame. You know, you look at it, you learn from it, and you move on. And that may be cliched again, but it's about how do you learn? We should be constantly learning and constantly evolving. And, and for me, that whole piece around failure will push you to find your purpose. And I think that's such a strong message for, for our, our women to, to take away from this. One thing, Rona, before, um, uh, before we, we talk a little bit further about you know, current issues, tell us a little bit about what Experian do. And in particular, the significance of data to Experian. Um, many of our young women uh, are very, very interested in the applications of data and how data is used in the workplace and the type of careers out there for them where they could put their skills to use. My role at Experian is as HR director for Europe, Middle East and Africa. It's probably the sexiest region. And I say that because I can <laughs> So I'm going to break it down for you, right? So if you think about it, we live in the world of data right now with trillions of data around us, social, media, loans, telecoms, travel are generated every day and every minute. And we help people. We help consumers understand their data with our analytics to enable better access to credit avoiding their data to be used for fraud, as an example. We help financial institutions to grant more and better quality credit by analyzing their and our data combined with software to make decisions in real time. And then to further elaborate, we see the importance of data and automation as an example, Uber, the largest taxi company in the world, and they do not own any of the cars right? The largest hotel is Airbnb and the largest cinema is Netflix. And what is the overarching commonality? None have physical assets. So we are the world's leading global information services company with approximately 17,800 employees. And like I said, it is all about data. We are continuously looking at ways to innovate. What are some of those roles that the young women out there could think about and reflect. So there's three that I'd like them to think about. So there's the data engineer. So these guys prepare the data in basic terms. They manipulate data sets and they get them into the right format. They tidy it up, prepare it for auditing, sense check to be ready for data scientists and modelers to derive informations and insights. What skills do you need? Usually a more junior level maths, numeracy and skills in SAS or VBA or Excel. So you would be looking for anything where you play with and prepare data. So that's a data engineer. Then a data modeler is usually the bridge between the engineer and scientists. They take the engineered data and they run standard models. And then we come to the data scientists. These individuals, more qualified, more adventurous than the previous two, and they are usually working with big data and solving complex problems. So they use advanced analytics techniques, such as machine learning, to find trends and model data. So what skills do they need? Mathematics, yes, but they would have more of a statistical analysis background and qualifications. 
So that's a kind of quick snapshot of experience. That's that's great. I think that that breakdown really, really helps our women to understand uh, the types of roles that are on offer. We this year launched our data curriculum as well, which we are seeing overwhelming number of women um, sign up to to try and you know learn data skills things like SQL the creation yeah. of databases and, and really what we're looking at at the moment is that it's sort of creating the foundations for a lot of these women to go on to be data engineers or data scientists so to hear that there's those opportunities out there um, to kind of apply what they've learned in the workplace um, is is fantastic in this present environment as well. I feel like this message around inclusion and diversity has been amplified. The role of inclusion and diversity has never been more important, both on a societal level, but also on an organizational level. How do you see things changing moving forward? What do leaders have to do to ensure that we, we make genuine change? I think the move towards diversity and inclusion has to be intersectional. And I, I think any organization will not truly be diverse because we are still bringing in people, as with the men, who all think the same. We do need cognitive diversity. So hiring diversity encourages the business to grow and evolve. It it engenders a pioneering spirit. It engenders a spirit of entrepreneurship. It allows people to be creative and to bring themselves to work. You know, when we think about diversity, it's about that mix of talent as well that reflects a broad array of experiences and perspectives and skills that builds a uniqueness of a company. We should build to acknowledge and embrace this mix and place it at the heart of our business, of any business. You know, lasting change depends entirely on one's policies as an organization. It's not enough for us to just say, we have a few people of color or we're going to set up a Black Lives Matter group. What I would like to see, and I think what we all need to see as as senior leaders, it's not only action for today. It's for tomorrow and it's for the future so that we start building a, a way of thinking and a way of behavior that not only impacts corporates, but impacts communities and societies. So whether that's cognitive diversity, sexual diversity, ethnic diversity, whatever it is, Let's own it. Let's honor it. Because at the end of the day, we can only do it together. And I think that's a that's a, such a powerful point to, to end on. Rona, thank you so much for being part of this today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Anna. I hope that I've given young women out there something to think about. It's been really fantastic. And I, and I really do think what you, are, what you and your team are doing is pretty special. And I'm looking forward to working with you. Thank you so much, Rona. Amazing. To everybody listening out there, you know, thanks so much for tuning in. As always with the Code First Girls, we are a movement. This is a community effort. So please send us a message with your thoughts, comments or ideas for future episodes. I promise we will listen. Uh, you can find us at, at Code First Girls on both Instagram and Twitter. And if you enjoyed the show, then please just take a few moments to give us five stars on your podcasting app of choice. And of course, share it with a friend. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye, everyone.